how to blow up a pipeline. More like how to blow up my DMs telling you to recycle already. Am I right? Yes, I do that all the time. <laughs> Reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> Welcome to Film is Lit, the full spoilers podcast where we take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film or television adaptation. My name is Danny, he, him, the self-appointed film expert. And joining me from afar, she's 3,000 miles across the country in Massachusetts, is my wife and co-host, Laura. Laura, say hi. Hey, we swapped spots. I am where you grew up now in West. Should I triangulate? Go ahead. Is that okay to say? Yeah, tell. I don't care. Dox me. <laughs> no, maybe I'll just say Western Mass. I'm here in Western Mass. <laughs> Woo! More like Western Mass. And I'm True. where you grew up in LA. In LA. Not, That's yeah, right. not specifically the Palisades, but. Ugh, don't mention that name to me. It's dead to me. <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about them anymore. <laughs> right. That's the past. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's focus on the present right now and the future of our planet, very apropos. Today on the pod, we are covering How to Blow Up a Pipeline, written by Andreas Malm in 2020, and the film adaptation of the same name, directed and written by Daniel Goldhaber, Released April 7th, 2023. We got to see it a day early, April 6th, at the Alamo Ooh. Draft House. It was quite the treat mm -hmm. to see a film early. Uh, it was not technically the premiere. It premiered at the Toronto Film Festival in 2022, where it gained quick acclaim and was picked up by Neon, the same distributor that distributed Parasite. Ever heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, you should check it out. Park Chan-wook, <laughs> Best Picture winner. Um, <laughs> all righty. So the book, it's more of a manifesto. In fact, that's what Andreas Malm calls it. It's an academic text. And in the text, Malm argues that sabotage is a logical form of climate activism. And he criticizes both pacifism within the climate movement and then what he deems climate fatalism, which is more or less the thought of, listen, we're all fucked, so let's not do anything because right. it's, it's not going to help. Uh, mm -hmm. So in the book, he criticizes that and he encourages readers to sabotage, whether it be oil refineries or, or any fossil fuel manufacturers, refiners. Or Consumers. Cons exactly. Consumers. Yeah. So that's the second thing. He also criticizes fossil fuel and uh, energy consumers as well and, and argues for a more a greener planet. But surprisingly, he does not teach you how to blow up a pipeline. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think if he actually did that, then his book would be banned. Right. <laughs> Honestly, probably. Yeah. Yeah. It would have popped up on the dark web. Yes, but he is more or less pushing readers to go that way. But it is a non-narrative text. So this is cool. I think this is the first manifesto we've covered on the pod, which is interesting. You know, I wanted to read a quote, shockingly, from Gilmore Girls, because I think it's really apt here. It's one of my favorites. So if anyone is familiar with the show, there is a character called Paris Geller who I can very much relate to. She's a little bit grating. She's very passionate about the things that she believes in. Mm -hmm. And 
so she writes a manifesto for a class project and she asks Rory Gilmore, one of the main characters, for her feedback. And Rory goes, first thought, lose the word manifesto. And Paris says, two cabin in the woods. Rory replies, don't open your mail. And Paris says, right, how about doctrine? And Rory says, that's better. <laughs> so so rather than a manifesto, maybe it's it's a little bit less jarring to call this a doctrine. Mm-hmm. But I think there are aspects of both a manifesto and a doctrine in this book. Yes. <laughs> I just, Do- I always love that interaction. <laughs> I think I like doctrine better because manifesto right. has a connotation to it. Like sometimes crazy people write manifestos. Exactly. So. To cabin in the woods, which is exactly what Paris says. Right. So, yeah. so maybe going forward, we can call it a doctrine, but. <laughs> Thank you, Gilmore Girls, for giving us that perspective or that yes. that relabeling, <laughs> that rebranding of this manifesto. You know, you learn a lot of lessons from Gilmore Girls. I don't, haven't watched the show, but I watch you watch it, and there are some <laughs> there are some golden nuggets of of little info. Oh, there are a lot. Yeah, who's the showrunner of that? Amy Sherman Palladino and her mm. husband. I believe his name is David. But the creators of Marvelous Miss Maisel. That's it. That's it. Same team. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, now that we've talked about Gilmore Girls, I think (laughs) uh, we can wrap this up. Now, so the movie is more inspired by the text as opposed to directly adapted. Because again, as we said, the book is a non-narrative, right? The two Easter eggs in the film is that you see people reading the book. Yes. And I noticed that on the first go i noticed the neon colored cover art yeah in a couple of areas and they allude to it possibly existing in this universe when sean and logan meet in the bookstore that's right because logan says oh that's a good book but it doesn't actually teach you how to blow up a pipeline or something like that yeah there's, yeah. there's an offhanded comment but i think importantly the character zochi is kind of given malm's character as like a mouthpiece so they they don't really acknowledge that this book exists in the universe of the movie definitely yeah i thought that was neat too yeah because for people who read the book that's a cool little little easter egg hidden in there and it adds kind of a meta layer to the film speaking of sochi so that's played by ariella bearer who is a co-writer on the film oh i didn't know that i did not know that going in either uh she's also 25 years old so let that Mm -hmm. sink in 25 years old has already written and starred in a movie okay that's that was uh, picked up by neon that also picked up parasite (laughs) right exactly um so the film Mm-hmm. Directed by Daniel Goldhaber, great name. Yes. This is his second feature. His first feature was a little indie called Cam, kind of like a thriller horror. Uh, a little diamond in the rough. I, I like that a lot. But he also co-wrote this film with Ariella Bearer, but also an academic, Jordan Sajol, who I just listened to an interview with Daniel Goldhaber, and he was saying uh, Jordan Sajol just got his doctorate uh, from Duke, but... It's kind of his side job is a script doctor, which is kind of huh. cool. Like for that, that not is... to be your mate. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if he's a medical doctor or what, but 
he's not a full-time screenwriter, but in his free time, he, you know, punches up scripts, which I, I just think that's the coolest thing ever, like to do that on the side. You know, that's interesting. I, I never thought of being interested in that job, but now that you say that, I kind of punch up things at work. I kind of punch ups like documents at work. I would love to do that for a script. That would be really fun. You also punch up my letterbox reviews too. Yeah, I'm a ghostwriter on your letterboxed. <laughs> yeah, you just rewrite the whole thing. So it's trash. <laughs> yeah. I get I get no credit for it. Anyway, right. sorry. You're getting yeah. distracted. Yeah, but the uh, the film revolves around a group of eight young people who decide to blow up an oil pipeline in uh, West Texas. So yeah. What a what a thrill ride. And the movie is framed as a heist film, which look, there's no other guy on planet Earth who loves heist films, okay? I I knew I'd I'd love this plot structure. And uh, yeah, it really is just a thrilling ride. Yeah, well, we can get into Journeys, but since this is a new film and fairly new book, I don't think it'll be too long, uh, Journeys, for both of us. So, Laura, kick us off. Yeah. Great. Um, The only journey that I have that aligns with this doctrine is that I've been really passionate about reducing my carbon footprint since I was very young. And I was lucky enough that especially my dad's family, um, because they're also very lucky, they live in the Bay Area, really modeled that way of life for me. So things like growing your own food, and not just recycling, but like working as much as you can to reduce the amount of everything that you purchase and you use with gas and everything that aligns with that sort of mindset. Cause it truly is like a, a mindset that you have to set for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really modeled for me from a very young age. And while it makes me sometimes a little bit of a gremlin, as Danny might say, I am very might passionate. Say? I yeah. say that. I you say that. Say that. <laughs> you call me a gremlin all the time. <laughs> it is something that I have sort of dedicated my life to in terms of being self-sufficient as much as I can be. Obviously, something that I've sort of had to go through as a older adult is acceptance that we can't always be perfect. And sometimes, you know, you have to buy X, Y, and Z from the grocery store instead of making it for yourself. But I really do try to make every single decision that I can based on the understanding that what I do makes a difference. And I, I try to inspire other people without being insufferable I don't know that I necessarily always meet that goal but (laughs) reading something like this also inspires me to take it a little bit further and to not only I I don't know that I'll necessarily commit (laughs) eco-terrorism but it does make me it gives me a little bit more vindication to a continue what I do, and what I've grown to love. I am really passionate about this. And number two, to teach others about it and kind of preach why I think the way that I try to live is the right way to live. 
Sure. Especially for the future. So that being said, I think something I struggled with a little bit while reading this book, and I will also mention that I finished this on the plane and having the word terrorism, every other word (laughs) in the book was a little bit uncomfortable. (laughs) It was kind of funny to read it in the context that I did. I don't know that this book is going to cause the shockwaves that I think really do need to be sent throughout the world because Mm -hmm. it came across a little bit as something that was preaching to the choir and might come off to people who really need to hear the message as a little bit elitist just because of like the style of writing and the advanced phase of activism that Malm has reached throughout his life Mm -hmm. so so i don't know if it's the most effective piece of literature um but again at least for someone who kind of already has this mindset at heart i found it very comforting especially the third chapter about how to continue this mindset into the future and why it's important excellent and what about the movie oh yeah uh I have even less of a relationship with the movie. We, as Danny noted, we saw it together in a little date night. (sighs) Without getting too deep into my full review, I don't think I liked it as much as Danny did. Speaking of the writing, it probably could have used a few more passes to make it a little bit less stilted in terms of the dialogue. Exactly. Um, <laughs> that's my big complaint with the film to okay. get to spoil my <laughs> big criticism with it, even though I really liked it and recommend it. Okay. okay. I agree with you there. Okay. So that's really all I have. I, I'm not sure that I loved it. I think it was a really interesting idea because this book very easily could have been turned into a documentary about like Malm's activism and his process of arriving to this pretty intense call to action. Yeah. So I like the idea that this message has inspired these young people into action. I think that's really different than a lot of, other approaches to ideas like this but yeah i didn't love it (laughs) by Mm -hmm. the end of the movie so that's it for me how about you i'm pissed this podcast is over bye (laughs) i i could tell when we left the theater that you had just a little bit more of a positive reaction than i did like i don't think that this is either of our favorite thing we've ever seen this year no absolutely not i think that you came away with it a little bit more positive, even if you had a little bit of feedback or whatever that you're going to share later. It's just one of my favorite genres and one of my favorite Mm. type of films, which is a streamlined, propulsive, from the opening minute until close, it grabs you by the throat and is like choking you out. And (laughs) you like to be choked out? (laughs) Wait a second. This is therapy for me. Wait, I just... um... (laughs) I think I'm into it. Um, so, but That's, you know what I mean. This just is a safe so, space. Just like smothering, thrilling, mm-hmm. breakneck movies mm-hmm. that have kind of a floating camera that are really slick, but also at the same time that it was shot on film. So it has that old school grain. So it's mm-hmm. both new age and old age. I really liked it. But part of me was 
a victim of the overhype. So let's get into this. Let's get into the journey. So mm -hmm. last year, 2022, after TIFF, there's a podcast I listen to religiously every single week called The Big Picture Podcast. It's like the number one podcast right now on Apple Podcasts for movies and has been for a while, hosted by Sean Fantasy, who is my idol. I wish I could talk and speak like him and just purport myself like him. So they had this one critic, Adam Naiman, on who was at TIFF, and he came on and was like, there's this great movie that came out of the blue. It's called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. This is how you kind of do the liberal go green message in a way that's not pretentious, in a way that, yes, maybe conservatives won't go see this movie based on its title, but... It could inspire some people, again, like you were saying, not to commit eco-terrorism, but maybe to make a difference somehow uh, positively for the environment. But the only problem was after TIFF, it was just this movie floating around in the ether. It didn't have a distributor yet. Mm. And so I put it on my watch list, but it's like, when is it going to come out? What theaters will it be in? Will it right. be at the Alamo? I certainly hope so. But, you know, who knows? It, it does. This doesn't seem like an AMC theater movie um which which you <laughs> know it isn't it, it it isn't amc theaters mm -hmm. is not playing it which you know is a shame but it is what it is so you can imagine the hype building up for me this kind of phantom movie that has been recommended on this podcast which i listen to all the time and it seemed like a really cool premise like eco-terrorism as a heist movie i love that um yeah. It, it was compared to William Friedkin's Sorcerer, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'm all, I'm, you know, I'm all about that. So the way you're describing it makes me think of the word intersectional. Mm, like definitely. heist and also kind of a, a message movie. Yeah, exactly. Because mm -hmm. there's nothing more cringy than a message movie that isn't handled with a with certain sense. Yeah, attention and craft yeah. i'm thinking of like adam mckay movies uh oh, like the big yeah. like, like the big short or vice um right. uh, don't look up i actually liked but i do recognize that it kind of has that smarmy like it kind it kind of hates the audience which is mm. i don't think not a good way to approach an audience who's no paying to sit in a seat exactly especially when you're preaching to the choir you don't want right. to hate your mm -hmm. audience so as soon as Neon picked this up and they said April 7th, I'm like, boom, we're doing it's this for Rebecca's the pod. It's Rebecca's birthday. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <it's> my mom. <laughs> Happy birthday, Rebecca. Um, so I added it to the, our like list. I didn't even consult you. No, I'm kidding. I, maybe That's I true, asked you. Uh, I don't think you did. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to cover it and... Luckily, Alamo had that early screening, so we went there, had a great date night. Reading the book, well, I listened to the book, and my opinion is twofold. One, I'm not used to reading what is basically a dissertation, right? I'm used to reading, you know, narratives. So it was a nice, refreshing change of pace. However, I do agree with you that because of the title, it's a paradox, right? I don't see anyone who needs to have their views changed picking mm -hmm. up this book or being swayed by it. Mm -hmm. Also, look, I ain't the brightest light bulb in the bu bushel. <laughs> Do light bulbs come in bushels? Uh, but at some points, I think the elevated language kind of got out of hand. 
would you agree that I maybe I would he, agree. Yes. I think he made his point too well at some mm -hmm. points. And it's not like he belabored the point, but mm -hmm. there was like too much flowery language where I'm not saying like make it stupider. I'm just saying like be more succinct. Mm -hmm. Just just say it. You know, you don't have to have these big fancy words all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you can. Sometimes that's cool, but <laughs> not not all the time. So at some points, I got, I kind of rolled my eyes at the language a bit since mm -hmm. it was just so intellectual to the point where it wasn't even it didn't even feel like he wrote the book for anyone. He was mm -hmm. just like writing down. He's he proving his vocabulary. Yeah, so. yeah, and it's also really interesting to contrast the content of the book with the literal call to action of the title yeah. and that's what makes the line in the movie so funny because it kind of on the nose made a point to me of what I was missing in the book mm -hmm. because this is my issue I'll bring this to the work environment this is my issue with people who write emails that don't have a clear action plan or a clear question. And that that puts me off at work because I'm like, all right, you've 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 taken the time to write an email. I just need to know what you need from me. <laughs> I don't yeah. need it to be like, maybe I need a little bit of background about why you're sending this email, but I don't need three paragraphs about you know, what you're working on and how you got to this decision. I just need to know what you need from me. Like, that's kind of what I think about when I think about like a call to action or, or any type of organization online who needs money or needs you to come to a rally or needs you to repost something or sign a petition. I don't need the background. I just need you. I just need to know what you need me to do. And what I really like actually about contemporary reporting is that a lot of places or a lot of outlets have picked up on this and they've turned a lot of their articles into the format of a listicle. And that gets mm. rid of a long preamble, yeah. you know, and that even, even just with information, I really like succinct, clear headings, topics that I can scroll through Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm not one of those people who just reads an article title. I do like to read the content, but I just like to know something quick because I don't have a lot of time. You know, I'm a busy person and I like to have things really clearly laid out for me. So with the clear call to action of how to blow up a pipeline, where is the call to action for me? I, I think he mostly, Mal mostly focuses on explaining why it's important. Yeah. But he never makes the leap of saying, and this is how you do it. Because something that's actually really out of touch for me, even though I've been to plenty of rallies and I try to practice eco-sustainability throughout my life, it's really hard to understand how to make big change. And it's also kind of out of touch to say that every single person in the world could go and sit for four days without food and chain themselves to a fence or a bulldozer. And while mm -hmm. that might make a lot of change, I would need like, you know, a step-by-step -step instructional guide about how to take time off of work for that. And then how to figure out 
where to go, like where's an inflection point for me to do that? Mm. And then how do I get there? And then what's the biggest way that I can make a statement when I get there? You know, instead of having people say like, what are you here for? <laughs> so so that's where I was sort of missing the momentum. It was like, I understand the importance of what you're trying to say. You don't really have to defend it to me. I just need the next step that you kind of promised in the title. And that's where the book kind of right. fell flat for me. I apologize. That was kind of a long rant. <laughs> no, go off. I'm, I'm here for it. You just illuminated something that I couldn't quite put my finger on. But now I understand it completely. Thank you. The book was missing examples of mom's past activism. I would have liked specific examples where he could have done these little vignettes of little stories that either himself or his colleagues have done to, you know, fight climate mm. change. I think I think he participated in the tire slashing in the very beginning of the book. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there there wasn't a lot of support for someone who wanted to make that next step and maybe contribute the way he has. Sure. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I should say the book is very short. My audiobook was four hours. Hmm. So I flew through it in about two days. Mm -hmm. The movie is also refreshingly short at 103 yes. minutes, which, thank God, I'm so used to movies being three hours these days. I mean, <laughs> just look at all the things being released. John Wick 4, three hours. Bo is Afraid. I want to see that. I want to see John Wick 4 too, but three hours. Uh, movies are long. And uh, I think this movie astutely was... Mm breakneck it reflected the pacing and the tone uh very well and it also reflects the amount of time that we have to make these big changes yeah i think that's an important thing to compare as well or align mm -hmm. because the whole point of the book is we don't have time to play nice at mm -hmm. this point we've been trying to play nice since we started noticing climate change was the thing and and we need to kind of pick up the pace a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So picking up the pace, that transitions nicely. The movie is just so fast. On minute five, we are in the mission, which chef's mm -hmm. kiss. What I really love is the opening of the film. You get a short, brief little introduction to each character, either leaving their jobs or establishing their alibis. You run through eight people and it's in the span of five minutes mm. and then we we're just in it and the structure of the movie is that the bulk of it is the mission and then about every 10 minutes or so we'll get a flashback vignette that explains the motives behind uh, each character which mm. i thought i thought that was an interesting structure i really like how they committed to that because it built the tension exactly yeah and it added a level of intrigue because as you go along, you're learning why each character is doing what they're doing. And there's some twists along the way, especially with Lucas Gage's character and his girlfriend, uh, played by Rowan? Christine. Yeah, Rowan, yeah, played mm -hmm. by Christine Froseth. So we'll talk about Lucas Gage later, MVP of the oh, film. Yeah. So funny. It's, yeah, we will talk about him later, but he really stole the movie. <laughs> Yeah. 
it's just really cool to get to know these characters. It's, it's just the right amount of character work, right? Because we're here for the mission. We're here to see them put the bombs in place and to see them blow up the pipeline. That's what we bought the tickets for. However, it's nice that we get these little snippets of development, uh, but it's not too much. So our main character ostensibly is, is Ariella Barra playing Sochi, but we also have Logan and Rowan. We have uh, Michael, an indigenous character and actor played by Forrest Goodluck. He was in The Revenant. You might know him from The Revenant. Uh, he was also in Cherry. Uh, Sasha Lane plays Theo. Jamie Lawson, who plays Alicia. Marcus Scribner, who I've never seen in anything. He plays Sean. I thought he, he was pretty cool. He was pretty at good. the same college that uh, Sochi went to. That's how they met. And then finally, the rough and tumble American uh, redneck uh, Dwayne, who right. is mad at the oil company because they forced him off his property uh, to build this pipeline. So he's kind of the inside man who knows the area. That adds an interesting dynamic to the film because they never state his political beliefs outright. But you can tell. You just know that he's a you know a Republican, a you know, Bible thumper. Been- has been or is currently yeah yeah it's a little bit vague right, right. I, I think that's maybe where they tried to pull in a different demographic with the movie mm-hmm. because i do think that that story was important to integrate but i don't know well i, I think it's important because it shows how bipartisan the issue is because no. yes yes yeah. i i was just gonna say i'm not sure that it I don't know, without talking to someone who would have seen it from that Mm. perspective, I thought his family's introduction was a little bit cliche and silly. Um, Mm. There was kind of a setup mockumentary with a like a college student, basically, who was going to cover their life, pushed off their land. And I thought it was a little bit contrived. I, I don't know that that was his best piece of character work. I think he really like he gains character throughout the movie Mm -hmm. but yeah without without interviewing someone who has a different perspective it's hard to say i but i think it was important to include yeah it's an element that the book doesn't have of like why should i care because he lives in west texas so up until he was pushed off his land he was profiting from the nearby businesses meaning the nearby oil refineries he was a part of that system. And right. of course, once that system pushes him out, then it's personal. Right. I think that was very interesting, an interesting element. The part where I think that was contrived was maybe his costume design was a little too much like, hey, this is a redneck. Uh, he has a hat with an American flag on it. I mean, how more on the nose can you get? He he does dip. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. But is it wrong? <laughs> is it inaccurate? No. I'm not I'm not judging the dip. I'm just saying, like, you couldn't paint a more redneck picture. Texan picture. Yeah. No, I agree. And you know what's funny, too? Like, I I think that we both feel the same way about the character of Michael, because I was so excited when I found out that there was a character from North Dakota. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but my North Dakota roots run deep. And that's a nice and also an unfortunate thing. There are some not so great things about North Dakota. But um, we meet Michael in 
a sort of combative mode because Mm -hmm. the most hands-on way that he can fight this fight is by confronting actually a lot of people from texas have recently moved to north dakota because of the fracking and oil industry that's pretty big in north dakota right and so he confronts people who have moved into the area and specifically he's from partial north dakota that is according to wikipedia <laughs> lying within the jurisdictional boundaries of the mandan hidatsa and arikara nations I don't know, unfortunately, that we get enough character development with him. Agreed. And it's kind of frustrating that we have a lot of background with the other characters. And specifically with Logan and Dwayne, considering like they're white men. And I don't really know how you could so easily fall into that trap of Mm -hmm. overdeveloping two white male characters over someone who's possibly Hidatsa or Arakara um, mm-hmm. native. I, I don't know <laughs> how the movie made that misstep, but it kind of bothered me that we got a lot of background on those two characters over Michael. Did that bother? Well, it more so bothered me that his character was a little one note where he, so he right. has this aggression and this hate towards the world, basically for swallowing up and burning the land of the indigenous people. And he has this justified hatred, but his character doesn't go beyond that. Right, yeah, he's two-dimensional. Yeah, right. And it makes sense for him to be pissed at, you know, white people coming into North Dakota to work on fracking and on the oil refineries. But it doesn't make sense for him to be kind of standoffish and mm-hmm. curt with his crew. Right. I don't know. I, I think they kind of subtly hinted at that maybe he has some sort of social struggles. Yeah, like social, yeah, disability or, or struggles. He's just kind of like angry and that's Well, we it. don't get he, enough character background to understand that other than an inference. And I think that's what makes it a little bit. Yeah. Like he's put into a box. Yeah, Agreed. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. He's not two dimensional. Yeah. He has a kind of okay scene with his mom where he explains that all the stuff she's doing is not doing anything. Like, you need to be more radical. You need to actually make a difference. His mom is played by Irene Bedard, who was uh, the voice of Pocahontas. Shut up. Yeah. Really? Not the yeah. singing voice, right? Or No, not not the singing, the speaking. The sp- no way. Yeah. That's, that is really interesting. And huh. I knew I recognized her. She was also the female lead in Smoke, Smoke Signals. Smoke Signals. Okay, I knew that she was in that. Yeah. Um, that is really interesting. Um, even in itself, because obviously Pocahontas is now kind of a controversial movie, but for people in the Spokane area and the Wellpinna area, that's also kind of a controversial movie considering... Right. Sherman Alexie's status within that community. So that's really interesting. I like that a lot, though. I'm glad that you brought that to my attention. No problem. I'm the self-appointed movie expert, babe. I got the facts. (laughs) You do. No, that's Um, really great. I'm glad that you pointed that out to me. That's enlightening. I like that. Aw. I wish I could hug you, but you're 
across the planet. <laughs> Soon. <laughs> yeah. So I like how he is basically teaching people how to make these homemade bombs on, he calls it boom talk, which, you know, there for those who don't have TikTok, there are little segments like kind of like subreddits of TikTok where it's like cooking talk or travel talk, mm-hmm. um, dog talk. So this I like we're, boom talk. We're all over. To- we're all over dog talk. Right. Yeah. And uh, baby talk. Um, so t- it was kind of funny how he called it boom talk, and we we follow him as he's slowly learning how to make explosives. The only problem with that is the minute you know. All social media sites are heavily regulated. So mm-hmm. the minute someone from law enforcement, whether it be state or federal, gets a hold of these videos, like he's either getting a citation or getting arrested. So that mm-hmm. realistically, I don't think you can go on social media and uh, do this. But to go back to my more broad, both positive and simultaneously negative of the film, I love how, for the most part, these vignettes are succinct. As soon as the point is made, they cut back to the main narrative. Mm -hmm. And in fact, most of the shock and the humor of the film comes from these jarring cuts. Mm -hmm. Like a barrel will fall on someone and then it'll cut right back to that person's backstory. And then we cut to the present once it's done and that, you know, her leg is broken Mm -hmm. Uh, or a bomb goes accidentally goes off in the house, right? It's riveting and Mm -hmm. hilarious. You're always on the edge of your seat to go to the con. We get to Michael's story and it is too, it's a little too short Mm -hmm. and unexplored for clearly our tastes. I don't know if other people felt that way. Yeah. He's just an angry Indian is how it, it felt like they had reduced his character just down to an angry Indian. And that feels like just as, harmful of a depiction of someone who really could have had an interesting background and has a right to have an interesting character arc who just unfortunately didn't get it i hope that that actor is able to be cast in other things (laughs) and and speak for his indigenous culture Mm -hmm. right um on on his own terms but yeah this movie unfortunately just kind of missed the mark right yeah Speaking of William Friedkin's Sorcerer, it's apt that the trailer to that film played at the Alamo before this movie right. uh, opened up. For those who haven't been to the Alamo Draft House, they play classic movie trailers uh, in front of a film. And in like, old commercials. Right. Like a lot of stuff that's just and, from the archives. Right. And all this stuff that they play is all catered. You know, the Alamo collects these clips as little hints as to what of what's in store for that particular movie you're seeing. So both Sorcerer and How to Blow Up a Pipeline have a very similar structure and a very similar device of tension, which is unprofessionals are handling bombs that could go off at any minute. Mm. It's a very simple yet incredibly effective device for suspense mm-hmm. and for tension yeah and i don't know about you but the hairs on the back of my neck were up the whole time i mean i really was captivated by the pace and the pure terror that this film had to go back to my kink i felt like i was being choked I yeah don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no no it's it's so true because the best way of 
keying up that tension is to be able to put the audience into that mindset of like what would what would it look like if i were building a bomb like right i'm the last person that should be handling explosives right and that's kind of what these kids have done by just finding the ingredients and stuff like drano mm-hmm. right like these things aren't even regulated <laughs> you know yeah. there there could be any type of chemical ratios in these liquids yeah <laughs> and and oh my gosh like one of the worst moments of tension is when they're driving to the actual site in a truck going right. through the texas back country and it's like the most important thing just is, is to keep this explosive from jostling lest right. it go off <laughs> too explosive they basically mm. have two giant barrels right and I like how one of the posters for the film is just how to blow mm-hmm. up a pipeline, like spray painted mm-hmm. onto uh, an oil barrel. Mm-hmm. The funny little joke in joke is that that's not an oil barrel. It's a barrel that's containing explosives that the crew mm-hmm. has assembled. So mm-hmm. the film is captivating because a, it has the heist element B it has the element of like young, hot people doing cool <laughs> shit, like being like right. really really rad like this really feels punk rock i know that it's kind yeah, it of feels obvious gritty. it's it, really gritty and you know it's it's funny too like obviously it takes place in texas because that's a huge like oil refinery center but the setting of there will be blood yeah like it, it just feels gritty you just feel like you're in this the center of this dirty dark back country that's been like this since oil started to be drilled right even the visual look of the film is shot in 16 millimeter so you have that grain Mm -hmm. and it feels not necessarily low resolution but 35 millimeter is more used for kind of that sumptuous vibrant rich frame that like paul thomas anderson shoots his films in Mm -hmm. 35 millimeter he shot there will be blood in 35 millimeter speaking of that film but 16 millimeter is much more old school the film itself is cheaper so it's a cheaper way Mm -hmm. to film but what it adds is kind of this like you're saying dirty gritty rough and tumble type of visual look that perfectly complements the film so mm-hmm. uh, you have that element you have the element of the bombs could go off at any time it's just a really cool premise in film and even their plan is neat because they're not just simply attaching a, a bomb to a pipeline and blowing it up they're they're blowing it up in two specific places as to not allow for an ecological disaster right so there is one point of the pipeline uh, in the movie that is above ground and it on each side it has two slopes so they're trying to blow it up in the middle so uh, there will be no oil spilling into the land. It'll on each side, the oil will fall back into the slopes. So that was uh, neat. You know, you respect these characters because it's not like they're just going out there and causing an ecological disaster, right? They even have this conversation mm-hmm. in the film, which is like we could actually do more harm than good by blowing right. up a pipeline, and it's an interesting argument. I think this movie succeeds, and the writing is really good because we like the characters or at least i did even michael who's a bit of a could be a bit of a shithead (laughs) yeah i i have to disagree a little bit 
I thought that actually very few of the characters were likable. And I think that for me was one of the biggest flaws of the movie. Um, I thought Zochi was a little bit unlikable in terms of being like two dimensional and overwritten actually. Mm. Um, And I thought like the only two that I felt like were actually relatable were Logan and Rowan because Mm. they were just more aware of how insane their plan actually was. Yeah. So I, I wish that like as hard as this message is to deliver even in reality, because I've certainly got into fights like this with people or I've rolled my eyes or I've been like, you know, you pull up in front of me in an SUV and you're the first person I'm going to slash your tires. Like, I I just wish that this was delivered in different vehicles, <laughs> I guess, to use use a metaphor <laughs> a little bit. I, I just think it would electric have been... Electric vehicles. Electric vehicles. I just, like, if all the characters had been as likable as Rowan and Logan, I think it would have negated some of those eye roll moments. Mm-hmm. And it might have made it a little bit more like I think the point of the movie is to make it more make eco terrorism more approachable to people who would be like, you know, hear the word terrorism and check out and say that's anti American or anti patriotic. And I, I just don't know that this movie, unfortunately, for me was successful with that, because I Mm. didn't find a lot of the characters very relatable or approachable. I didn't think that Theo's dialogue was particularly well-written, nor did I think Sasha Lane's performance was that captivating either. I, there's one yeah. point in the vignette where it's after Sochi goes to a funeral, and it's extremely on the nose where she's saying, mm-hmm. like, wow, that was a great service. Your dad w- would have really liked it. So you're an orphan now. What are you going to do? And it's like, remember how and they're in Long Beach. Oh, by the way, anyone who's from Long Beach is going to friggin hate this movie. They, you know, they really... yeah, it's and it's interesting, too. Like now that you say the, the name Theo, I really had to like reach into the back of my mind of like, oh, shit, like which person, which character was that? And I think maybe the answer to this movie is just cut a few characters and maybe we mm-hmm. would have a little b- bit more space in this like 96 minute movie to breathe and understand why fewer characters are coming to this point of committing eco-terrorism like they're all of their stories are so different and so important i think that's why maybe they wanted to include everybody but maybe Mm -hmm. they just overdid it a little bit and that left me feeling like I wanted to know more about fewer of them. <laughs> they were like, we need to have a lesbian couple. We need to have a lesbian couple. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, th- and then unfortunately they ended up focusing on the white characters. It's like, why, why even have them then if you're going to ignore and forget <laughs> the BIPOC characters? I don't know. Mm. Maybe yeah. that was a failing for me, but. I don't know. Yeah. In terms of the likability, perhaps not Theo, perhaps not Michael. I, what I liked about Sochi's character, who is, I guess, the secret main character of the film, and which is funny because in all the ads, they really position Michael as 
the main character. I think when, they might have tried to play off the I I think so too. Character. Um, yeah. I think so, but it's really Sochi's story. I think what the film needed was a lead who was this steadfast radical who did not compromise. And yes, maybe her dialogue was a bit like maybe it could have just come straight from Andreas Malm's mouth, but I felt like I wasn't bothered by it. I think hmm. when they the characters have their debates, her retorts always felt right to me. And my, and my favorite moment of the film is in the final 10 minutes, we get a flashback to Sochi talking with Alicia, where it's revealed that Sochi knew that Rowan was a mole you know right. being uh puppeted by the fbi and that the secret plan was for sochi and theo to get caught mm-hmm. they weren't planning on getting away with it so that was a neat twist yeah. and that scene ends with alicia going well nothing is actually gonna blow up right and then it has a hard cut to Sochi and Theo surrendering in front of the building and it, it just immediately exploding behind them. And it was, it's just such a shock. Mm-hmm. And it's part of what I really liked. It, it, I don't know. It, it, that cut very much felt like Sochi's character to someone who like incredibly intelligent knows what she's doing. I'm kind of rambling at this point, but it, no, it, it's, it, it didn't bother me. It's funny because like, those moments and especially the end we can kind of talk about how you felt about the end but i also definitely want to go back to logan um it it frustrated me because i'm i still feel like she's unattainable for me because it there are so many levels to someone who perhaps has not lost a loved one to climate change or capitalism in the way that Mm -hmm. she has and who can't just decide or it's not realistic to decide to drop out of college and commit this type of act and even go to jail for it. Mm -hmm. Like I was a little bit bothered by the end because with her landing in jail, I was like, so did anything happen? You know, like, did this even make a difference? Because making that type of sacrifice is something that, and and maybe that's my own flaw. Like, I don't think that I would ever be able to drop out of college and just commit myself to going to prison, to making this one type of sacrifice. But that still, to me, means that it that's unattainable and it might not even make sense or it might not even be the best way to fight climate change. So, So I was a little bit, conflicted about her decision i think she even explains in that diner sequence with alicia that she doesn't expect other people to do exactly what she's doing all she wants to do is to have this big explosive moment both literally and figuratively to get the her message out and she's saying that by having the fbi think they're winning and then by you know having a, a highly publicized court case then their message will get out yeah it's yeah, yeah, I'm I'm still conflicted by it. I'm still like I I appreciate that you gave me a heads up about the book that the third chapter really brings like a refreshing reminder that mm-hmm. climate fatalism is also not the best way to yes. 
just throw up your hands and say, fuck it. Like, no matter what we do, we're doomed. And and I didn't quite get that from the movie. I, I mm-hmm. got I got a, a slightly different message about like we all do need to be more consistent about our actions and calling for bigger change. And and I know this too, that no matter what I do as a single entity is not going to do as much as, you know, the car industry changing and capitalism shifting in people's minds. But you pushed me to finish the book because the book says every little bit does count. And to say that it doesn't is to say is actually to make things worse. And, And it's not practical to give up because then you're sort of proving the point that it it doesn't matter. And a lot of these messages come from people who do profit from capitalism. So, right. so those, those messages aren't the ones that we should be listening to. Whereas the movie, I feel like it was kind of like a singular person just like going down in flames because they had no other options to be able to like continue their activism. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, like it just makes me feel a little bit like that's less attainable for someone like me who just tries the best that I can do through voting and spreading the word and pushing people not to, you know, buy an SUV or pushing people to become more self-sustainable by growing their own food or opting out of a conventional capitalistic way of interacting with the world, like not ordering from Amazon, not ordering from online systems stuff like that like that to me is more attainable and i think i'm not unfortunately and maybe this is a flaw of my own but i'm not the one who's ready to go down in flames that's unattainable for me so like where is the middle ground between these two ideas that's where i struggle to fall Mm. you know what i mean yeah maybe i really don't think that sochi is trying to get people to blow up pipelines however you know, that movement that she's starting by being caught. Maybe they could have delved uh, a little bit more into what she wanted people to do. Because there are some compelling conversations in the movies about, I would say, Sean is more of a fatalist, where he's saying, like, well, reducing, reusing, recycling, it's too late. And Mm -hmm. I think what Andreas' mom is arguing is that, all movements, all great movements of change started with the other side saying, you know, that will never happen, right? Women's uh, suffrage movement, right? Women's rights, uh, slavery, you know, the, they were saying that the economy of the South revolves around slavery and that it would crash and we wouldn't be able to go on. You know, so he's taking these big movements and saying that all great movements started with the other side saying that it's too late we're done. And that all that fatalism is doing is taking people who are um, on the side of change and pulling them down and and pulling them to the other side or distracting them from the goal. Like it's never too late to do anything is what Andreas mom is, is kind of arguing. And perhaps the movie could have had a little bit, a few more examples of the effects of their heist, right? Because the movie ends with three people putting um, a bomb on a yacht and putting the posters 
by the yacht, which is, you know, harkens back to mom's book of like, this is why we sabotaged your property. Okay, so interesting. I have a little bit of a, I don't know if it's like a correction or a thought, but I think something Malm could have made a little bit clearer and a connection I'm going to make to a book that I've cited in the past called Stamp from the Beginning is like, I think what he's arguing is nothing changes until the profitability changes in a certain movement. It's actually not people who are pushing for the change because it's right. It's actually the more powerful groups who are making money off business as usual Mm -hmm. to finally decide that they will make more money if the system changes rather than actually doing what's right. And that's where I start to fall into a lot of fatalism, even though it's, it is really devastating to watch, you know, realistically, the fact that we are too far gone, like people already are, in my mind, when people are saying, like, we are getting better, quote, unquote, my response to that is that we're already losing land and human life to climate change. So it is already too late, right? And and even that is not enough for lawmakers and people in power like billionaires to change their ways because it's not profitable. It doesn't matter whether or not it's right. And this is an argument that people have made going back to institutions like slavery. Slavery wouldn't have changed if the economy hadn't changed to make it more profitable to outlaw slavery. Right. So so it wasn't necessarily that it was morally correct. It was that it was more profitable in the eyes of capitalism. So that's where I find the frustration that I don't have, no matter how I vote, no matter how we vote, the people in power who have billions of dollars are not going to see it as profitable to change their ways unless we stop supporting things like Amazon and speaking with our dollars. Um, and I don't see that coming through. I think that it's it's a it's a driving argument of the book. Maybe it's not like the clearest argument, but it is more in the book than it is of the movie. So mm. so I find the movie just like maybe missed that mark a little bit because if we know where to put pressure, we know how to change the system. If we don't know where to put the pressure, I'm not sure that it's going to change because they just have the money to fix the pipeline again. And they have the money to fight the lawsuit that Sochi is is eventually going to go through. And I don't know that it's going to resolve in the way that she thinks it's going to resolve. Yeah, I think they discuss that the pipeline will be repaired, but they're only looking to momentarily price out gasoline before it's repaired. And, and according to the movie's logic, they have the time to do that once it's destroyed. Yeah. They're trying to to price it out. They are proving exactly what mom was saying, which is that, you know, things don't change unless capitalism around it uh, changes in the economy. So, yeah, yeah, it's just it. Yeah, it's just one statement that. Mm -hmm. How is that going to catch on? That's my concern is like, where is what is the next step? And, And you're right. They had a tag of people who do it to the super yacht, but the mm-hmm. mega yacht, but but you know, we're sitting in 2023 and that's not happening. So, all I, so I, know, I don't know. I don't know. All I know that's... is 
my concern is that I'm putting my super yacht in storage, our super yacht in storage. So it <laughs> right, does not, it's not get popular vandalized anymore. Um, do you want to quickly talk about <laughs> something else before we, yes, I would, I would like to close this off on talking of the wonderful actor who yes, is let's Lucas end on a positive cage. Note. Yes. Gage, sorry, not Cage. So this actor has the best journey I could think of of any actor in the past few years. Infamously, in 2020, during thick COVID, when everyone was doing auditions via Zoom, mm -hmm. he posted this to Twitter, but he did an audition with a casting director. I don't know what it was for, but the casting director did not know that his mic was on, and Lucas Gage was recording the audition. Classic boomer move. <laughs> yes. You can hear the casting director say to his assistant, oh gosh, these actors with their small apartments in LA, they have to set up their cameras and like they have these small TVs. And Lucas Gage is hearing this as being like, oh, you're not muted. And then the casting director is mortified. He goes, oh, Lucas, I'm so sorry. He goes like, I'm doing these auditions so I can maybe move out of my small apartment. So please book me. All right. And he's totally mm -hmm. professional and goes on with the audition. I don't think he got the part, <laughs> but um, yeah, he was criticized for having a, a small apartment and shamed. And I mean, <laughs> Lucas Gage had a sense of humor about it, right? He's the one who posted the video, but he was a struggling actor three years ago. I don't know if that video helped. I mean, that video certainly helped him, but Months later, he was cast on Euphoria, one of the biggest shows on the planet. Then he worked with HBO. HBO cast him in White Lotus, another one of the biggest shows on the planet. Won a bunch of Emmys. Season two did. He was in season one. But anyways, <laughs> um, well, no, season one won a lot. I'm getting off track. Then he was cast in Netflix's You. The best show of I'm, all time, I'm right? I'm obsessed with his character, Adam. He's yeah. exactly the same as Logan. He's just like a chaotic, good energy. <laughs> you, despite being a dumpster the dumbest fire. fucking show I've ever seen in my goddamn life. Scripted show I've ever seen in my goddamn yes. life. Chaotic evil. <laughs> it's a huge hit for Netflix. And right. he's in it. So in the span of a few years, this guy went He's from... also been cast in Fargo. Like, he's going to be in the new season of Fargo. Oh, no way. Yeah. Cool. I, I love that anthology. I hope that he's good in it. I'm sure he will be. No matter what script he's given, he does magic. So this is the true rise to fame story. He, he just auditioned like any other actor who doesn't have famous parents, and he got cast and from that goodwill he got cast in another thing and now he's everywhere now he's in a, a major motion picture granted this movie didn't make over a million dollars in the box office yikes <laughs> <laughs> but he made it yeah he's in no and, and he's, his he, yeah he he is the comic relief comedic relief in this movie i think my favorite line of the whole movie his girlfriend rowan says oh like i'm gonna go pee in the bushes or something like wait for me and he goes pee on me like yeah. in, in like the most genuine <laughs> voice i've ever heard which really establishes his character as like he will do anything for the people he loves and i think that furthers the idea that like if he were ever to have a child or even if he's thinking of having a child this 
movement is important enough for him because he's protecting his like future progeny right like he's he's so giving to the people that he loves that, that he'll allow his girlfriend to pee on him yeah, he wakes up after a night of drinking. Goes, oh, I'm dying. Uh, it's just funny. He, <laughs> and he he's... and he legitimately sacrifices his physical safety. He draws gunfire away from his girlfriend so that she can complete the mission, the piece of the mission that they've been delegated. Not only does he help save the mission by drawing gunfire, but he does that to also save those men because those mm. men those workers are out there to retrieve the surveillance drone which you know unbeknownst to them the team had uh disabled and it's sitting right next to the bomb so if logan hadn't run off to draw them to draw their mm-hmm. gunfire yep. it's likely that those men would have gone to the drone and would have been blown up with the bomb right because right. they're not here to kill anyone so he's risking his life to save theirs. So not only is he the fun, loose cannon character, but he's also genuinely benevolent. Uh, oh, so yeah. I, I think he, he's just a riot. And he has, you know, the bleached blonde kind of <laughs> California surfer hair mm-hmm. and, you know, has that goth like band jacket with a bunch of pins on it. He He's Bleached. a dude's a star. Like yeah. it, it's clear the minute he pops up on frame that he has the best stage presence that he yeah. is just someone to look out he, for. Yeah. He just looks like he has fun acting. And I think yeah. that type of presence is going to draw you in no matter what movie or TV show he's in. So I'm excited to see him in Fargo. I'm excited to see him in whatever upcoming project he's working on. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. and we're just so proud of him like parents, right? We don't know him. But <laughs> I, the but... first thing that I saw him in was you, which again, I understand I'm garbage for watching that show. Like I take responsibility yep. for being garbage, but, but he, he single-handedly made that show fun for, or that season, I think it was season four fun for me to watch. Like I yeah. just, I looked out for him in every episode. So that's a rare quality in an actor. And if he ever wants to be on this podcast, come on in, maybe we'll have a threesome. We'll entertain it. <laughs> Hey, I'm in. I like to be choked. <laughs> what? This podcast has gone off the rails. Yeah, who knew? I mean, it's a passionate topic, so maybe that's why we're getting so sexy about it. Yeah. Um, and the movie sexy. But yeah, we should. Yeah. Um, the we book should is not. Wrap up. The book is the furthest thing from sexy that we've ever read, I think, on this podcast. The Doctor and the Manifesto, whatever you want to call it. Although um, I didn't I didn't hate it. I, I appreciate yeah. it, right? It, it's yeah, tough yeah, to, it's, it's to tough to rate it. Sure. It's really tough to rate it because I don't want to say like two and a half stars because I think it's important, perhaps not as important as both of us would like it to be. Uh, Three stars seems too high, although that's feeling right to me. Sure. I mean, I think that's the that's the paradox, which he talks about, too. Like, I'm concerned that I've come across as fatalist now that I've criticized the end of the movie. Um, But I think that's the thing. Like, I just. I just don't see people using and and even the limited release of this movie signals to me that this isn't a popular piece for people. And and hmm. even the fact that I was trying to do a lot of research to understand what this book has meant to people since it came out, I was coming up with a lot of nothing 
on Google. There's not a lot of criticism. There's not a lot of dialogue online right now. And, and maybe that's because the book is new, but I think mm -hmm. it's also because it's falling on an unreceptive audience. And I think another thing that we didn't really talk about is the movie really leans into the ACAB theme. And while I'm not necessarily going to fight that, I think it negates the character work that they did with Dwayne, because that's just going to alienate the base that you've tried to build by incorporating a Texan who, mm -hmm. you know, has been affected by this oil industry. So it's, I, I didn't necessarily enjoy the book in the movie. And I also don't necessarily see that it's garnering a lot of, or that it's stirring a lot of impactful dialogue online so i'm a little bit concerned that it's just going to go away and that's why i feel like it's fair to not give it full marks like i would i would give the book two and a i would give the book two stars and i would give the movie like three that's where i'm sitting well three's higher than i thought you'd say three three's a wreck three's a recommendation <sighs> oh god she's She's retracting her rating. Like I'll stop her now. I'll rest I'll stop you now. Three stars. Three for I Logan. Think, Three stars for Logan. I think even with your view on the effectiveness of the movie, okay, I can grant you that. But I think as a genre movie, as a heist, it's thrilling. I think yeah. it's a thrill ride. Yeah. Maybe you're pulling me back on the side of three. I'm going to go two for the book, three for the movie. Okay, great. Where are you sitting? I'm going, okay, Screw it. I'm going two and a half for the book. I do think it's um, highly intellectual and impressive. And if this was turned in as a college dissertation, they're getting high marks just from the vocab. Would you agree? Sure. Just, just from the vocab. The movie, it's not, should I say, elegant. Yeah. I am disappointed in that dialogue. It feels very first drafty. Yeah, it, it just feels like they took the book and put it into Sochi's mouth. Like, Yeah, it's very difficult to make young environmentalists, no matter how hot and sexy they are, <laughs> it's hard to make it not sound cringy at times, mm -hmm. right? Cringy is a good word, yeah. Yeah, it, it's hard not to do that. And I don't think the dialogue was particularly successful. Loved all the technical elements, right? I think mm -hmm. the the cinematography as you mentioned, by Tahila De Castro, woman cinematographer. Don't see that a lot. Nice. I I love that. I think Daniel Garber's editing is fantastic. And I I want to see what Daniel Goldhaber does next. Mm -hmm. I he he's two for two. So solid movie. You gotta support independent cinema. Yeah. You gotta support independent theaters too. So this, if you're in the L.A. area, this is playing at the Alamo. It's also playing at the Lamel. So please check it out. I'm going, I'm going three out of four for the film. Okay, nice. We're on the same yeah. page. I thought we were going to yeah. be worlds apart, but we kind of came down on the same page. It's certainly not a four-star movie. Mm -hmm. And three and a half feels too high given mm -hmm. all its flaws, but it still is like... You know, movies like this just usually don't get released in theaters these days. It's mostly streaming, mm -hmm. right? So oh, yeah. I think I think we really got to support it. I, I would recommend it. Check it out. Call your senators. Get them to play <laughs> this movie at your local theater. I'd prefer <laughs> that you call and have them vote on 
economic nope. on ecological change. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> Boring. You've just completely no missed the theme and mission of this whole thing. Oh yeah. Well, I, I just like the explosions. Last sure. thing. <laughs> Last thing. Practical explosions. Yeah. Hey, we're here for it. There's four explosions in this film. Two of them are of the titular pipeline, mm -hmm. and it is astounding. Love the way it you just is... used the word titular. Well done. Yeah. Continue. If they use CGI for these explosions, the, the movie would have been zero stars. <laughs> for a movie called How to Blow Up a Pipeline, you gotta actually blow something up, you and have not to a commit. miniature either. Yeah. Yeah. Commit to the bit. Don't do a miniature. They built a real pipeline set. And they blew that thing up with real explosive blew that babies. Bitch. Not an ounce of CGI was used. Well done to the VFX team. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's it. Totally non heated, non political episode at all, right? <laughs> right. No, I think we kept it pretty um, neutral considering the fact that like climate change is real and needs attention. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the bottom line is that it's not a political issue. It's right. A it's a human rights issue and yes. it needs to be given the respect and attention that it needs instead of being turned into a political issue. So amen. Amen to that. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with our coverage on The Wonder. <laughs> Yeah, a, a religious turn for us. Goddamn, we're doing political and religious. I coverage. would say anti-religion though. Which oh, is I, ha your I haven't. Well, I haven't finished it yet, so so don't say okay. anything. Whoops, don't say anything. <laughs> Too late. I um, I mean, I am into the book. I I'm get I'm really into it, but I haven't finished it. So all yeah, I can say it is certainly it it certainly doesn't promote Catholicism. I'll say that. Okay, I I'm really intrigued, but I haven't finished. Yeah. So I'm awesome. Ready to close the episode. Alrighty. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe if you want to. No pressure. Uh, and as always, we love you. We'll see you on the next one.